Hello and welcome to the New to Canada podcast, the show that shares honest, real-life stories and insider info from internationals living in Canada. I am your host, Kate Malcolm, and I made the big move from England to Canada in 2017 after falling in love with a Canadian. Since then, I've launched the Newcomer Collective, home of this podcast, as well as the New to Canada Academy, the step-by-step online video course that guides you through everything you need to build a new life in Canada that you love. You can learn more at thenewcomercollective.com. Join me on this show as I chat with fellow newcomers and learn all about where they are from in the world, why they chose Canada as their new home, and the lessons they've learnt along the way. It's great to have you. One of the main reasons that newcomers give for moving to Canada is that they want to explore all of the wonderful nature it has to offer. And Parks Canada is the agency that manages and protects many of the most special places out there. This episode's guest, Audrey Levesque, is a Canadian camping expert who has worked with Parks Canada for over 20 years. She stopped by to share her best advice and insight if you're planning to head out into the Canadian wilderness and sleep under the stars. When we talk about wildlife, the first thing that people think about are bears or, you know, something big that's going to show up. But you do also have rodents, traditional little mice, the squirrels, you know, marmots. You have raccoons, all sorts of animals that can go through your food when you're not around. The first time I went camping, I was very young and naive, and I left all my food in the vestibule of the tent. And in the middle of the night, a bunch of raccoons broke into the vestibule and dragged all of our food in the woods. So you need to think about the impact that uh, the impact you have on, on wildlife and the impact you have on the the next visitors to come. Join us as Audrey shares her experiences working in some of Canada's most beautiful and interesting spots throughout her career and runs through the step-by-step process for booking, enjoying and respecting your campsite. Let's start the show. Hello, Audrey. How's it going? I'm good, Kate. What about you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm so happy that you're here with us. Um, as we all know, one of the main reasons people choose to move to Canada is for its nature. The absolute beauty of this country, the outdoor lifestyle that comes with it, still shocks me after seven years, you know, from the mountains of BC to the lakes and forests of Ontario, where I'm from. So um, yeah, wherever you move to, you're going to want to get out there and, and explore ASAP. And and one of the best ways to do it is to to visit Canada's national parks, marine conservation areas, and um, yeah, all the historical sites as well. So yeah, without, you know, with it being the height of summer right now, I thought who better to get on the show than a rep from Parks Canada to chat with us all about the outdoors, how to make the most of it. So thank you so much for being with us today. It's really a pleasure for me to be here. It's exciting. It's going to be fun. Yeah, absolutely. So where are you calling in from today? Are you, you're in Nova Scotia, right? Yes, I live in uh, the suburbs called uh, Dartmouth. Uh, it's just on the other side of the harbour, the Halifax Harbour. Uh, Based from my, my accent, I am clearly not from not from Nova Scotia. I'm from Quebec. So <laughs> my my first my mother tongue is French from Quebec. So uh, I've been been trying to become bilingual for years, but it uh, 
eventually it's gonna it's gonna happen and i will lose that accent or i will shed that accent but uh, people are telling me that they like it so yeah i was gonna say we have a whole hour everyone of listening to that beautiful french accent so (laughs) you're great for podcasts we can yeah we can enjoy that don't lose that that's amazing thank you What's the weather like right now? I'm so curious in the summer in Nova Scotia. I know that it can get really uh, nasty in the wintertime. So I'm just wondering in the summer, what what is it like over there right now? It's been very um, non-typical type of weather. It's been raining a lot, okay. like a lot. We had, we had very hot uh, weather back in uh, June, I think, early June. And we had like massive forest fires, right. the, the biggest in Nova Scotian history. And so it lasts for two weeks. And then since then, it's been raining. <laughs> Uh like a month of raining it's very humid but it's not the you know the toronto type of humid it's uh, right now i think it's 33 degrees outside the humidex must be around 27 degrees so Mm. i really love summers here in comparison to to quebec city it's uh, it's very tolerable there's no really heat wave it's very pleasant to be outside. Although Nova Scotians will tell you that it's too hot. And, you know, when, when winter comes, it's too cold. Yeah. So, but it's, yeah, it, if it could just stop raining, that would be amazing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I know it's, it's been weird here as well. Lots of rain, but yeah. So it's less sticky over there. That's good to know. Interesting. Yeah. It's so sticky here. It is. Um, and that's something obviously as a Brit, I'm not used to, we don't really get humidity in, in the UK. So don't you? Okay. Yeah. I remember when I first moved to Canada, I was so hot in the middle of the night. I opened a window because in England, you just open a window and you can let the breeze in. And my husband's like, why did you do that? First of all, like all the bugs are inside and now it's like the humidity is in the room and you've ruined the air conditioning. And I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> <laughs> now I told I told my boyfriend uh, that we would never have air conditioning in this house here because it's not humid enough. Right. And you know, ten, ten months of the year we freeze, uh, and it's like a damn cold type of weather. So there's no air conditioning here. We open the windows at night, we close them at daytime, oh, and that's the end of it. You mentioned the fires too. I I. Yeah, they're kind of all over Canada right now. It's crazy. Even where we are in Ontario, there's no fires nearby. But we had an air quality warning come through and everyone was advised to stay in for a couple of weeks back there. So, yeah, it's crazy here right now. Um, maybe what, what you know, what's going on with Parks Canada and how, you know, any updates on that? That's a really good topic to quickly touch on. Oh, every year there, there are wildfires uh, in national parks or provincial parks or on crown lands mm-hmm. that threatens uh, small communities uh, and Parks Canada have a very strong um, fire management team, and they have so we have firefighters uh, in most of our national parks. So they're trained to uh, to manage fire, and they they are sent uh, on the, you know they're sent away anytime there's a wildfire happening. So they're they're very strong team. If there's like a, a fire in the community, they will assist, and uh, they will also do like prescribe fires mm. in national parks and it's really to to limit uh, the fuel level so the fuel being the you know the the, the bush the the brush or like the bushes or dead leaves that could ignite easily if a lightning was mm-hmm. was was to uh, to strike in uh, in uh, in a park and, and you're right like it's been a crazy it's been a crazy year for that yeah and uh, it's not it's a I, I think it's unusual to see to see it happen that early it's crazy yeah yeah 
It's very crazy when you're in like a big main built up city and you can see the effects of, of wildfires in forests, you know, miles and miles and miles away. Um, you know, in Toronto, you can look up in the sky and it's red and hazy and it's, it's very surreal. And it's so, coming from West. Yeah. It's, you know, it's coming from out West. So yeah, it is, it is scary. Yeah. 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 And as a newcomer as well, I remember I, I hadn't really had much experience with like fire bans and stuff too. So when you move to Canada, that's really important. If you're, you know, doing bonfires in your backyard or, you know, campfires or anything like that, a lot of the time your local township will, will have, you know, put on fire bans for certain periods of time if the bush is really dry. So that was something that was interesting. If you're going to especially move to a smaller community as well, that is, um, something that we get a lot where we are that we get fire bans and um, neighbors will report you and the fines for firefighters to be sent to your house are crazy i think it's like 650 dollars where we are if someone calls the fire brigade so yeah definitely worth paying attention to the fire bans and it's obviously very important because it just takes one time doesn't it and it can spread so fast so yeah, yeah i'm glad that came up that's really important yes <laughs> Awesome. So I think the best way to to kickstart the episode is to briefly touch on on what exactly is Parks Canada, right? And some people may not even be familiar. So let us know what what Parks Canada is and and what work do you do you do there? Yeah. All right. That's a that's a good question. So Parks Canada is initially mandated to protect and present national and cultural parks and sites. And uh, it's also mandated to foster public understanding and appreciation. And uh, so the, you know, so the nature and culture is protected and available for generations to come. And the, um, not the agency so much, but the idea of Parks Canada was uh, established in 1911. So it's been, you know, it's been around for, for a century and a few years. It's also the world's first national park service. Oh, really? Yes. That's incredible. Yeah, I guess we led the way. Yeah. Truly. And it all started with, uh, I don't have the whole story, but it all started um, out west in what we know now as Banff. The first place to be discovered was uh, Cave and Basin. And again, back in the day, it was, you know, not a national park or national historic site. It was just a cave. It was seen as a place where... You know, people with money <laughs> could go and enjoy the um, the hot springs, and this is where the idea of you know why don't we create a network of places where Canadians and uh, international visitors uh, can go visit and enjoy uh, for their leisure purpose, and then like it expanded eventually, and you know we. <laughs> We kind of smartened up and, uh, you know, wanted to, to have bigger, like, or stronger conservation approach and, uh, you know, look after species at risk as well and seeing the impact of visitors the, that they have uh, when visiting. But the idea originated from there, like that little hot spring at Cave and Basin. There's also a cave with an endangered, endangered species. Um, in it, it's a little snail. Mm -hmm. And, uh, when I went there, actually, I went, I visited that, uh, that National Historic Site a few years ago and I, I bawled. I cried. I was so emotional. I was so, I don't know, you know, I've been, I've been working with Parisienda for um, 21 or 22 years now. Uh, I'm a parkie. So I would, def we define ourselves like a parkies mm -hmm. in a way that we're so passionate and so, uh, I don't know. We, we really love what we do. And when I went there, it was like, wow, this is all where it started. So, 
Anyway, I had, to, I had to hide myself from, you know, crying. I'm just like, oh my God, stop being so emotional. <laughs> it's not just a snail. I'm not crying over a snail. I promise. It's no, not do it. <laughs> I'm not crying over a snail. I'm not crying over a But yeah, so uh, it's very impactful. And you know, like these places are meant to, to create um, what we call a awe moment and create mm. memories and being impactful. So anyway, it's, uh, so this is all where it started. Yeah, so we have 37 national parks and 10 national park reserve. Um, a national park reserve is basically a national park, but it's uh, subject to one or more indigenous land claims. Mm-hmm. So, you know, indigenous people are using the land. They've been using it for, um, you know, many centuries. So, and the land claims are, are negotiated between the federal indigenous governments. So the indigenous people use still use those lands as, you know, hunting grounds and fishing grounds and trapping. So the Canada National Park Act, which is like our Bible of rules that dictate, uh, you know, how we should be preserving those places, still apply to National Park Reserve. It's important to, you know, make make that, you know, difference when visiting visiting a park. We're going to do an episode on on indigenous peoples of Canada. I'm really excited to to really dive into that because it's so important as newcomers to Canada to to understand that and understand the parks and the land that you're walking on and living on. So, yeah, it's uh, I'm I'm glad you're going to make an episode on that because it's so important to under, uh, understand their, you know, their culture and their history and they part they play such an inherent, you know, part in in the country and it's very important to recognize that i'm looking forward to listening to that episode yes i'm excited we're going to record it i think next week so nice coming soon so what else can you tell us about parks canada like i said like there's 44 47 national parks including national park reserves but we also have 171 national historic sites we have five national marine conservation area you have one in ontario lake superior we have one national urban park. Actually, it's in Toronto, and it's called Rouge National Urban Park. First ever to be created. Um, there's roughly 8,000 people working for the agency, and we maintain and protect 12 of 20 Canada's world heritage sites, which is a lot. <laughs> it's more than half. Very busy people. Very busy. And there's, we, have, we have about like 7,000 kilometers of trails spread across the country. And um, 25 million visitors per year. Wow. So that's quite, you know, something. I feel like that's the population of Canada pretty much or not. not <laughs> a little, it's getting there. It's like the population of Canada is, is in visitors as well. It's, it's, like get, it's getting there. <laughs> it's getting there. And uh, we monitor 200 species at risk. And um, yeah, we have 12,000 campsites. So 12,000 places to pitch your tent. And they're still sold out every summer. We'll get into it, but yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about the booking process and everything. But it's crazy. Yeah, they're sold out. It's nuts. Everyone loves camping in Canada. But um, <laughs> yeah, I absolutely love it. I think as you as you can see, you know, there's so much going on. There's so much work that you do. And it's so important, um, you know, conserving these beautiful places. And we wouldn't know about them if it wasn't for the work you do. So we can actually learn about them and visit them um, in a safe way as well. Like you mentioned, all the trails are incredible and they're safe and they're built up so that you can, you know, actually do those and and see these waterfalls that you potentially might not have been able to access and things like that. And then, yeah, the the wildlife and the the preservation of of the endangered species, you know, all the things. I think it's it's awesome. So I didn't know that it was the first. That's really cool. So yeah, paving the way for other countries to hopefully follow suit and and keep this world the way it should be. And yeah, really cool. And even better, you know, and even better. 
And not only that, what, what's been your favorite posting so far? You've worked in different national parks, but I'm wondering if you have a favorite posting so far. Yes. So, yeah. So Signal Hill. Yeah, I worked at Signal Hill and National Historic Site and Cape Spear Lighthouse National Historic Site. I was the, the site supervisor there. Oh, that was beautiful up there too. I remember I was waving to the UK because it's the most easterly point <laughs> in North America. So like that, yes. that's the most east, but the closest to England I'm going to ever get on this this continent. So I was giving them a little wave. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good call. Good call. I tend to go there for, for sunrise uh, on New Year's Day. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Start the year, right. No, we would do that. And Canada Day is, uh, there's a huge celebration happening um, at Signal Hill on July 1st uh, for the sunrise ceremony. So, we would, you know, we would be up on the hill at, I don't know, 4.30, 5 a.m., can't remember. So people would be partying. They would be coming back partying from George, uh, George Street and uh which is downtown st john's and they would come over to you know to take part of the celebration of the sunrise ceremony an hour and a half later so that was funny but yeah i, I love being there i was like i worked there for three years mm. uh, but the coolest job i've done so far is to work on sable island national park reserve and it's such a special place so if your listeners never heard of sable island national park reserve they should they should google it it's uh, it's a little island uh, 300 um, 300 or so kilometers away from uh, halifax so it sits in the national in uh, the atlantic ocean wow. very small island it's all made of sand it's considered the the graveyard of the atlantic the north atlantic because um, a lot of boats wrecked in that area uh, is known for like its storms, you know, strong currents. Um, it's the place where there's like, you know, there's a lot of days with with fog, so it would be it would have been very hard to to see when you were navigating without any electronic tools. And uh, the one thing that people really love about that island is that it has a um, wild horses population. So there's about 500. 500 or 600 wild horses roaming the island. Wow. Yeah. Oh my God, I'm so excited <laughs> that we are finding out about this because I had never heard of it either. That's so cool. It sounds like something from like Pirates of the Caribbean or something. The fog, the shipwrecks, yeah. the spooky sandbars. <laughs> and it's also the, the world largest uh, colony of gray seals. So every year there's half a million. Wow. Half a million gray seals, they come to the island to reproduce and give birth. Wow. So you have the seals, you have the, you know, the horses. Mm -hmm. It's a very nice place. It's, uh, and people can only visit, um, by helicopter, chartered, chartered helicopter or chartered, um, fixed, uh, fixed wing plane. Um, and it's like one group of visitors at a time. So it's very, we don't get a lot of visitors. It's about maybe 200 visitors, 300 visitors uh, per year. So do you need to, uh, call the, the tour operators? Um, early January usually it sells out fast but it's you know like if uh, if you have a chance to look look it up it's a very unique place that, that that's what I love about Canada though because there's so many unexpected animals and wildlife that that you just come across that you don't expect so I remember when we were in Newfoundland there was this island that they drove us to and it was just covered in puffins and it's like what like it's yeah. so crazy that you know in the UK it's just you see the same wildlife kind of everywhere whereas in Canada because I guess it's such a big diverse country it's you never know what kind of big colonies you're going to come across or oh this migrating group comes here you know it's so interesting and you never know what you're going to 
you know stumble on and, and get to see in the wild it's it's such a unique country for that I feel like and wow yeah seals that's amazing yeah cool so now that we know what Parks Canada is, let's move on to camping. I think, you know, the first thing that comes to mind, obviously there's so much going on with you guys, but the first thing that we do think of when we think of Parks Canada is camping. It's, it's you know, the most popular way to explore the national parks, really get that authentic experience, you know, in, surrounded by nature. But um, yeah, as newcomers, there can be a lot of things that you're not expecting. Like I said, the wildlife, but also you know, when I first saw those warning signs for for bears and moose, you know, those the yellow triangles, you know, people advising us to carry bear spray, for example, you know, I found all of that so surreal as a newcomer, you know, I think, like I was mentioning, the most dangerous wildlife you can encounter in the UK, I don't know, a cow? Like, <laughs> so yeah, let's break down the the process from from passes, permits, the whole booking process to, um, yeah, to what we can expect when, when we get there. Yeah, okay. Well, before even starting to to talk about like the process you need to decide where you want to camp there are different type of uh, camping um in uh, in parks canada so you have what we call front country camping which is you know so you set up near your car there's also uh, back country camping where you can you know paddle to your side or hike to your mm. side so those are like very minimal type of campsites. And uh, it's, I think it, it requires a little bit more of planning, but these, these are also the, the best way to experiment wilderness in Canada. So the front country camping is more safe, like from a, you know, like human standpoint, because you have neighbors around you and, you know, you have a playground and washrooms and power. Uh, there's also diversified accommodations. So Parks Canada over the years developed and built different type of accommodations actually to cater to, uh, to people who don't want to spend their night on the ground. You know, it's uh, <laughs> maybe you don't want to freeze in your tent or maybe you find it still too intimidating. So we also call the, the, the diversified accommodations glamping. Right. I like that. And uh, dep- <laughs> depending on the t- depending on the park where you would be camping or pick your diversified accommodation, you can sleep in an authentic, which is some kind of a, it looks like a cottage, but also looks like a tent. There's heat in it. There's a table. There's mattresses. Um, and they're like, they're very popular, like in most of national parks and even national historic sites now. Um, we also have uh, yurts. We uh, we also built recently uh, contracted a company to uh, to build oasis, which is it looks like a teardrop. Yes, I've seen those, like the dome. A spatial pod. So these can fit usually a family and uh, two children, and uh, they're they're pretty cool. They're pretty popular, and they also have we also have uh, you know cabins and TP and. So those accommodations really are really meant for to make the experience, the camping experience more gentle, less intimidating. Accessible. Yes, accessible. You also need to bring, you know, less gear. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a gentle, it's a gentle way to learn how to camp without like thinking about getting the tent. I need this, you know, sleeping pad and uh, I need, uh, you know, layers. You can work up to it. Yeah, there's no shame in that. <laughs> yeah, oh, especially if you have child- children and, you know, it can be, all, yeah, also intimidating, like to, uh, you worry about like, well, my ch- children love it. Uh, are they, you know, 
Are they going to enjoy their time? Uh, yeah. Will they want to go back home <laughs> 20 minutes after arriving? <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so you need to, uh, to make those, you know, decisions about, okay, what do you want to, you want the gentle type of approach with diversified accommodation? Do you want to the front country camping? So when you made these decisions, then you go on the Parks Canada, um, uh, camp, like camping reservation website. We also have a phone number where people can call and speak with an agent and that will guide them through the booking process and give them the different, you know, options of what's available. And they, if they go online, they do need to create an account mm-hmm. and they have to choose the park where they want to go. That's a, that's the biggest decision. Yeah. Most of national parks um, managed by Parks Canada are you know, a few hours drive from, from major cities. Just thinking about uh, Toronto, Bruce Peninsula National Park, it's three hours and a half drive, which is not too bad. Uh, Georgian Bay Islands is two hours and 15 minutes. Uh, Trent Severn wa- uh, Waterway National Historic Site, uh, less than two hours drive, they have authentics. And uh, so you can, you can book an authentic. And uh, Thousand Islands National Park, Three hours and uh, three hours and a half drive. They have authentics. You can camp. So you know it's not too far. And uh, you know, thinking about Vancouver, Gulf Island is two hours and a half uh, for if you want to camp on an island. And uh, there are two national historic sites near Vancouver: Fort Langley National Historic Site and uh, Fort Rod Hill and Fisgard Lighthouse a National Historic Site. They do have authentics, so you can you know do glamping, surrounded by a lighthouse or surrounded oh. by you know, cultural, <laughs> cultural history, so which is pretty cool. Uh, so yeah, you do, you do need to decide where you, where you want to camp. And uh, it's basically like the system will tell people, you know, which section they want to look in. Let's say you want to, you know, you want to camp this weekend. So you enter those dates. I want to camp in Kejim Kojik National Park and National Historic Site. I want to do front country camping. I will enter that in the, you know, the system. I'm camping with a small tent. We're going to be two people. Boom. Search. And then it will give me Jeremy's Bay campground, which is, you know, the front country uh, mm. campground of, of Kajim Kujik. And it's going to give me, I don't know, 55 different sites that are available for the dates uh, for which I'm searching. And, and to, for this, I can also like even select, do I want power on my site? Do I want to bring my air fryer? <laughs> I'm saying that because last weekend I went camping and someone had an air fryer at their site and a Keurig machine. Ah, so, <laughs> and they were tan camping. So why not? You know? What a beautiful combination. It's like, no, I'm going to sleep on the hard ground, but I need my Keurig. <laughs> Priorities. That is quite Canadian. I love that. Yes. Yes. So, <laughs> Tim Horton's Keurig part, I guarantee. <laughs> there we go. So, you know, you, you, can, you can select a site with, that has power. And then, uh, you know, they will, the system will show you the sites again that are available. And then you can click on a specific site, it will show you pictures. Uh, so you can get a visual of what the site looks like, and uh, it will also give you the level of privacy. Uh, is it wow. wheelchair accessible? Is it uh, you know for how many people? How many tents can you set? Can you set up? Is there water hookup? Uh, so it will give like a lot of information about you know different things you should know. 
before before booking that camp that campsite. Yeah, it's really straightforward. It's really well well done with the filters, so you can really set exactly what you're looking for and looking to do, and then it can bring up bring up those results. So let's. Um, what is the website? We'll definitely include that in the episode. Yeah, the website is www.reservation. Uh, dot pc.gc.ca so that's a long that's a long address yeah we'll put it in the show notes oh there's gonna be so many links in this episode so many check them out Um, we're (laughs) gonna talk about a lot of different things um to check out and to take advantage of um so yeah we'll put them all in the show notes but i wanted to verbally say it as well just just so that it's in it because um this is the biggest most important website if you're looking to to go out and book book a space people can still show up to a national park without a reservation However, I would caution doing that mm. because, like you said, camping is very popular in Canada. Um, it is very hard to find a campsite, you know, three days notice uh, when you travel and you don't want to, you know, travel like three, four hours without a reservation and, and show show up there without, you know, without any availability. So, in the, like, we're always asking uh, visitors to plan ahead around uh, you know march march or april this is where the the reservation booking start so usually people have their dates lined up uh in march or april you know like when it's november or december and you want to do some daydreaming and you went you want to dream yes, of summer i was gonna say that look forward to the summer when it's yes. ni- minus 20 outside and you can get your campsite booked and look forward to it shop for your campsite that's a great way of thinking about it yeah yes and i think it's come up in previous episodes as well about how canadians are planners they plan they plan they book they book they want to you know oh we get together for dinner okay we'll see you in three weekends time and get you in the calendar so um that's always quite funny that always comes up quite a lot culturally so yeah it doesn't you know the camping is is exactly the same you gotta gotta get your booking in and yeah like like you like you mentioned you do not want to turn up and and um, maybe even just get stuck with like portaging across with a canoe or something if there's no <laughs> front camping available. Yeah, so, no. It might be an adventure, but you um, know, yeah, yeah. But sometimes <laughs> you know, we 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 tend we tend to want to please our visitors and create good memories. So we really want them to you know to plan ahead and be sure they have something <laughs> booked for them. And and yeah, I guess that when it comes to fees, it it just varies, right? It really mm. depends on where you are, what kind of site you're booking, what you what your options are going to be. So um, I'd say if you're looking into it, just go to the website and and check it out. But there's also seasonal and annual passes as well. So if you did want to save some money in the long run, if you're thinking of doing this more and more often, then you, they offer seasonal and annual passes. So that's really interesting as well. So um, yeah, you can check out the fees online. I'm guessing and and look into the passes if you're looking to to get it cheaper <laughs> actually if you go to uh to each um, national park or national historic site page uh under our main website you do have a section on fees okay so for e- each each place so if i if i'm looking at kajim Kujik national park and national historic site as an example for their camping fees uh the front country camping um at around like 31 Forty-one fifty with electricity. That's really reasonable. Then. Yeah, you're gonna have the breakdown for the authentics, the cabins, yurts. It's all like it's all lined up under camping. Wonderful. Actually, uh, to do a you know segue with uh, with the fees, we really want to make sure that Canadian or visitors uh, take the most advantage of national parks and national history site at the low, lowest cost possible. So you have the specific site uh, seasonal pass. 
that gives you uh, you know admission to that site specifically but if you are you know if you if you're if you're privileged enough like in Ontario uh, to live uh, within you know a reasonable driving distance from different national parks or you're planning a trip across Canada you could look into um, a discovery pass so the discovery pass is um, gives you access to 80 Parks Canada administered places. Wow. And it's all across the country. It includes national historic sites, national parks. It is for the, the admission fees. So it is not for camping. So everything that is like outside of, you know, entering, uh, entering the park, uh, that's, that's not covered under the discovery pass, but your admission fee is covered by that. Any children, uh, you toddlers, like it's free, it's free of charge, free admission. I really want to mention the canoe app as well yeah. because it's incredible. I'm really excited. I believe we are in the works of getting this podcast added to it as well. So when newcomers come to Canada, they're going to have access to this podcast and learn all about the stories of newcomers. So really exciting. And I definitely want to include uh, the canoe app in this episode because it's incredible. And so many people don't know about it. I put it on my Instagram and everyone, I think it was like 85% of people voted that they, they didn't know about it. So it's so important to spread word. Um, it's open to permanent residents and citizens citizens of Canada, new citizens of Canada. Um, and you can activate it whenever you want. So create your account. Once you activate it, you get one year of access to so many discounts. Let me tell you, they have um, partnership with national parks. Um, and you can yeah tell us more about it. But yeah, there's so many other discounts like museums and art galleries and so much to do to explore Canada. But um, yeah, Parks Canada is one of their partners and um, newcomers, PR and citizens can can take advantage of that. So what's included on canoe? Yeah. So for us, it's, it's free admission, free admission, free admission for a year. And, you know, they just have to show that the app to the visitor service attendant at the gate before purchasing a discovery pass. If it's their first year um, being in Canada, download the app. Try it out. Yeah. It's a great way to trial it up, find your favorite place and yes. get your annual pass for that place. Or, or if you really love everything, then yeah, get the discovery pass. I love it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. And so what about activities themselves, like recreational activities? Once you've set up your campsite, you're there. Um, I know that Parks Canada, you can also book some, some activities. We get that question a lot uh, about, okay, if I go to, to camp, if I, if I go camp in a, in a national park, I'm going to go there, pitch my tent, set up my camp. Then what else? <laughs> then what <laughs> What happens? So, yeah, so we have, there's a lot of recreational activities that can be done in the national park, um, a lot. And it really depends also where you are and, you know, what's what's the season. Um, of yes, the weather. I was the say weather, that. yes. But, you know, like, there's never, like, there's a saying, it, there's never bad weather, there's just bad clothing. And bad preparation. And bad preparation. Because I, we went to Algonquin and it poured with rain the whole time we got there. So, for one, we didn't even check the weather to find out that it was going to rain. We were like, yay, this is going to be the best weekend ever. And we didn't even check. And we would have seen that it was due to rain, but we didn't. And then we turned up. And luckily, we were with this one Canadian guy that had a ton of, like, 
plastic tops. So he, you know, strung them through the trees above our communal areas and we had them under our tents on the ground. So he was prepared with tops. So I always say to people, bring tops if it's going to rain. Um, bring a raincoat if you just want to sit out and fish in the rain, you know, embrace the weather. But, um, yeah, so important. Yeah, and bring the ropes. Bring the ropes to go with the tarp because if you just bring a tarp without ropes, mm, it's not going to be fun either. So depending where you are, the list is pretty much pretty much endless. You can go paddle. Some some parks will have concessions where you can rent stand up paddle boards, canoes, kayaks. Uh, you can go fish uh, season, depending of course, and you do need a national park permit. Uh, to fish when it's approved uh, in you know in a specific place, um, we talked about seven thousand kilometers of hiking trails. So you can go for a hike, uh, you can go for a mountain biking ride, you can do geocaching. We do have uh, some parks that offer geocaching, um, so you can uh, geocaching for those who don't know is kind of a scavenging hunt. I mentioned stargazing. Some of our parks are national national um, uh, dark sky. Uh, reserve so i mean the stars are pretty mind-blowing in in uh, mm-hmm. you know those those wild places children can attend or can they can ask for explorer program booklet so when they go to the visitor center they can ask for for the explorer booklet most of the sites have that booklet and there's a series of uh, games and activities that that can be done on site so, you know, the, the booklet will guide them throughout different different games and activities. And when it's, I think, depending on the park, sometimes it's three to five activities are completed. They go back to the visitor center and then they get a tag, a little dog tag Aww. as a token of, you know, completion. I want to do that. I don't know about kids. I want to do that. That's yeah, no, so fun. <laughs> it is fun. So there's a lot of things to do. You know, it's... Uh, Nature is so inspiring and nature is just like, um, it's just a great way to connect and like, I mean, connect with yourself, connect with nature, connect with our landscapes Yes, and just get away from the noise and just like recharge. I was going to say disconnect. Yeah. Disconnect. Yeah. We're talking about activities and I know maybe it's just my friends, but they love to bring beers camping they want to drink they want to you know have a massive barbecue feast so what comes along with that is a lot of rubbish a lot of trash a lot of cans and things like that so I did want to mention that as well that you know when you go camping um, I see that leave no trace uh, tagline that you guys push out there it's so important I definitely wanted to, to touch on that as well and um not only that, the the danger of having food in general and, and camping when there's different wildlife around. So maybe we can just chat about trash and, and food. Yes, trash and food. People are in a national natural place. Um, and, you know, it's it's I guess it, it takes a little bit of education and being uh, being aware that there's a you know there's a certain wildlife around when we talk about wildlife the first thing that people think about are bears <laughs> or you know something big that's gonna show up but usually i mean yes you do have the you know the grizzlies in out west and the black bear uh, on the on the east coast or you know central canada but you do also have uh, rodents traditional little mice uh, the squirrels you know marmots if if you have like if there are moments near, near nearby, and then like you have raccoons, uh, you have all sorts of animals that can go through your food when you're not around. 
Uh, and then that causes a, a series of problems. First of all, they, it's, it's not good for them. So they, they, they become habituated to a diet that is not their natural one. So then it, you know, it creates health issues or it creates a disease. Um, so there's that. And this is like, we really want to keep them wild. We want them to keep their, you know, their, their wild behavior. And it creates also uh, some, some animals become aggressive mm. when, you know, when they really want food and you won't give them food. Like they will, like, I've seen squirrels in Quebec where they would climb on my backpack to have food. I'm just like, no, you're not going to have anything. So the things we do at our site has an impact on the next visitors to come. Mm -hmm. So if you're camping and you throw a bunch of bacon grease in the fire pit, which really you shouldn't be doing because again, it's food and it doesn't burn entirely. So you burn, you put that in your fire pit and uh, you leave like piece, some pieces of gum and uh, things like that. And then like nothing happened for you, but then the, the next visitors come, pitch a stand has like knows everything to do with leave no trace wise or like keeping their site clean. But he could like, he could have the visit of, you know, raccoon or bears or anything because the person prior didn't follow like very basic principles. So you need to think about the impact that, uh, the impact you have on, on wildlife and the impact you have on the, the next visitors to come. It's just respect, isn't it? It's just respect, respecting the national park and the country and, and all of the work that Parks Canada is doing to set these places up for you. And then also, yeah, like that's a, such a good point, just respecting the people that are coming in after you. It's really simple. But... We have we have many rules in place and we do have those rules. <laughs> There's always a reason behind behind our rules. And it's not because we want to be stern and we don't want people to have fun. It's really because we are in nature. Uh, we want to, to, to mitigate the impact that humans have on wildlife and, and, you know, nature around us. You know, let's talk about campfires for a second. For years, we've been asking people not to bring firewood from home. Uh, because it has the chance to bring invasive and very destructive species. So if I'm if I'm in Nova Scotia and I have uh, you know let's say the hemlock woolly adelgid in in my in my forest, which is like a little bug and it's like it's 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 killing our hemlock stands. And if I bring that in let's say Quebec where they don't have that species, then it just I just created a massive problem that's going to take years and years and years to solve if it can be solved. So we're asking people to purchase the firewood at the park, purchase the firewood locally where there's no chance to bring invasive species. And also we ask people not to pick up wood in the for and you know on in the forest ground. So when you're at your campsite, a lot of people will do it. Because, you know, it's the easiest way <laughs> to light a fire. They will, they will fetch for some little branches and they will, uh, they will grab, like, they will, you know, break a little twig on a tree to create a little bit of kindling. And I mean, we're always asking people, like, please refrain from doing that because insects and other animals live in that cover ground. If everybody does that, there won't be a forest left, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, and there's a lot of, there's like hundreds of thousands of people camping. Uh, they are, you know, Banff has millions of visitors. 
So if everybody does that, like you're left with nothing to, to camp around. You know, you want to protect the nature around you for for you and for your children. Mm. <laughs> you know, cleaning after yourself. Same thing with dog. Uh, you know, if you have a dog, we're asking people to to have their dogs on leash uh, because it's really stressful for other animals in, in national parks. So it can be like stressful, like for deers or for any other animals to have like a, a dog chasing them. The dog can be chased also by a bear. You know, you don't want that to happen. Some people are scared of dogs and, and nobody wants like, like a little gift from your dog on the trail. So it's just being mindful and respectful by, you know, picking after your dog. Uh, we have we have tons of garbage containers in a campground. So just bring them at the proper place. So it's more about just being, you know, mindful of the fact that you're sharing this place with other people. And it's a it's a natural well it's a natural place but it's also a protected place so you want it you want this place to stay special yeah and there's steps you can do to to make this whole thing easier as well I know like if you're bringing lots of the same drinks but in cans you can just empty them all into one container so you have less trash to have to take home with you afterwards you know if you've got all these different food packets you could just put them in reusable containers and then you can just take those home with you instead of just creating all this trash yeah so, um yeah that's nice to do it and then to to protect the food you put it in you know sealable containers or you can tie it up i know that's what my our friend did he tied up a bunch of food up in the tree i don't know how how he's just being really wild there but um that's yeah that that would be backcountry that would be backcountry camping where you have to uh <laughs> yeah to use cables or tie up your food up the tree if you do car camping Leave your food in a car. Leave all your scented products yeah. in a car. Don't leave your food in a tent. Again, like the first time I went camping, I was very young and naive. And again, I didn't know. And I left all my food in the vestibule of the tent. And in the middle of the night, a bunch of raccoons broke into the vestibule and dragged all of our food in the woods. <laughs> we had the raccoons are brutal here. I even just in the urban areas that are here, aren't they? And if you, you know, you, I, I couldn't believe it when I moved to Canada that the the trash cans in Canada have like big locks on yeah. them because these animals will just rip your trash open. So let alone when you're actually camping in the bush. So yeah, that's, that's so funny. And um, I have a story as well. We we had a campsite that was on an island in the middle of a lake. So we had to canoe across to to get to our campsite. So again, like what you mentioned, it's so funny how kind of blindsided you can be you can have your blinkers on to just bears and like the dangerous big things and I think well the bears well first of all bears can swim I found out you told me this one before before the interview <laughs> bears can swim so don't think you're safe because you're on the island of, of a campsite um but also yeah like you said there's these small critters that are going to be on an island that are going to tear apart your stuff so you're not safe on islands either just you're 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 safe you're <laughs> safe but you need to be smart about about your decisions Awesome. Well, there's so many good tips. Um, you are the Learn to Camp coordinator for Parks Canada. So yeah, really excited. Uh, do you have any other key camping tips? I know that you planned and delivered the very first Learn to Camp overnight sessions as well. So you're definitely the best person to, to be picking brains with. So um, I just want to make sure we're, we're not forgetting anything else that, that you have to share when it comes to, to camping tips. Well, let's talk a bit uh, about the safety. So just, uh, I mean, you talk about the food, uh, but it's also important to, uh, you know, to keep a few things in mind about safety. 
our site, if you go under the lunch camp uh, section of our website, there's a subsection on, on visitor safety and tips that people should be, you know, thinking about. But the most important one is to bring a first aid kit with you. So, right. you know, like yes. we're, we'll never repeat it enough. Like people, you can burn yourself if you make a fire. You can burn yourself if you operate a chem stove, uh, you know, a splinter, you know, a blister. Those little, those little things like can ruin your weekend. So it's always good to have a first aid kit. Uh, always good to tell someone, uh, someone home what your plans are and where you're going and where you're supposed to, when you're supposed to be back. And uh, also, we talked about that dress accordingly, based you know based on the weather. Uh, it's usually cooler at night when you're in the woods, uh, so it's to be mindful about that. Always bring sunscreen and bug repellent. Please bring bug repellent. I mean, I would rather be burned to a crisp and forget my sunscreen and not and, and have my bug repellent. There is nothing worse than being plagued with mosquitoes, and they get yeah. in your tent. It's going to happen. So yeah, this is not <laughs> fun. And there's a season for all sorts of uh, for uh, bugs, right? So, uh, yeah, you need to do that. We said, like, not to feed the animals, um, but also we ask people to keep a distance between themselves and the animals. Uh, usually, okay, I'm not talking about the squirrel. It's, you know, sometimes it's hard to keep your distance from a, from a chipmunk. Uh, but, you know, if you see um, a fox, if you see a raccoon, a porcupine, a skunk, a bear, uh, you want to keep your distance. Like usually it's a good 20 meters distance, uh, you know, the rule of thumb. Um, so, you know, the selfies are cool for social media, but not so cool if you end up at the hospital. I know. And I always find that so funny too. Like, it's going to stress the animals out. I, you can always tell when you're on a road trip, like we were in Banff and you can always tell when there's an animal that's come out nearby because there's a crowd of people and all these cars that have pulled over and you think, well, some, something's obviously come out of the trees that everyone's pulling over to, to get out of their cars and take pictures of. And I do always find that quite sad. So yeah. Yeah, it's it's all, again like it's, it all comes back to being mindful of the impact we have on the wildlife. It's you know it creates a visitor safety with with traffic what you're what you're talking about and uh, pricing and messaging in, in those places are always about non-stop on the side of the road because you can create an accident. You can create an accident between you and the animal or between you and the upcoming traffic. So mm-hmm. it's like you know accidents can be can be avoided very easily. Music is is fun and all, but we have to we we always asking people to be mindful about you know the the level of their music on their site. Sound travels so much more in the woods. You know, you can be on a hiking trail and you can hear people talking, you know, one hundred meters away from you. So music is the same, and you know, like your your taste in music might not be the same. You know the same as my taste in music. So, and when yeah. when you have a campsite with two hundred people, you uh, you want to be mindful of that. So, and again, like there's like there's a whole section of visitor safety and camping etiquette on our site, so people can can have a look. And usually, Parisianda will always give a reason or a rational behind, and it it just it's just common sense. Yeah, great to know. Another link we'll we'll put in the notes for sure, and um, yeah, to look that up. Yeah. And so, yeah, that was great. So, and as I mentioned, you planned and delivered the first Learn to Camp overnight session. So let's uh, wrap this episode up with learning more about the Learn to Camp program and, um, and how we can get involved with that. 
Yes. All right. So Learn to Camp was created uh, in 2010, I believe. Um, it's a national program. It's really meant to uh, to teach Canadians and, and newcomers how to camp. So develop new skills and feel comfortable in nature. It's about uh, promoting camping experiences. And uh, we really want to remove the barriers, you know, between national parks and um, and not knowing what to do. So we do have different activities uh, in that Learn to Camp program. One of one of the the program we offer that is very popular are, is the overnight Learn to Camp, usually hosted in national parks and national historic sites, and uh, they are they are listed uh, on our website under the Learn to Camp section. It's really meant for like new Canadians, young families, people who never camped before. If you don't feel comfortable about like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to pitch a tent. I don't know where to go. You know, we provide the tents. We provide the sleeping pads. Uh, some overnights will prov- uh, provide um, the meals. Um, and some uh, some of them, very or like a very small and full of them will provide transportation. But um, everything else is included. And we have activities uh, done on site, cooking workshops. So it's it's usually 24 hours. And it's a very nice way, you know, to feel a little bit more comfortable with camping. Well, the first one, the first overnight I did at Kajim Kujik uh, back in 2015, I think, I had, there was a couple just that just moved from India and um, they, they were young and they had no idea. They had no idea. <laughs> What a smart couple, though. I mean, some people would just wing it and then get themselves in, into different issues. So I think this is amazing. That why, why wing it when you can do it for the first time with an expert and have all the equipment and things taught to you and shown to you? And then the next time you do it, you know what to do. Yeah. Yeah, you get help. And, you know, like they, and they had such an amazing time and they learned how to pit the tent. They, uh, they learned to paddle that weekend. We had a canoe, uh, like a canoe uh, session. They, you know, they learned. They had a blast. And they came back the year after. They were like, okay, we want to do this again just to make sure that, you know, we are okay. And now they have two kids and they camp and they love camping. So, and the, the thing that's pretty cool with, with those overnights is that you have a, a lot of people coming from different culture, different countries, language barrier, of course. Um, and what's amazing to see is like children, children of different nationalities different languages yes. they will all play together they'll play soccer they'll you know they'll they'll go on the slack line they'll go for a swim and it doesn't doesn't matter it's just it's just a big party <laughs> safe yes. in a safe in a safe environment so those overnights are worth checking checking out like i said like they are very reasonable uh priced and for what you get for your buck um, you know, you, you get to know a national park or a national historic site. You get to, uh, you know, discover the gear, camp with a group. So it's very safe. Um, it's, you know, it's guided. So it's, um, I think it's a good, it's a good way to, to get introduced to camping. For those who are like, okay, I, I can do this, but I still don't know. <laughs> I still don't know how to start. Um, on our website, there is a bunch of tools that people can download. And so we have camping check- checklists, so things to bring. Mm. You, can, you can print those those checklists. Uh, you have like a section on camping equipment, like the, the difference between some tents and sleeping pads and, and gear and stove. So we have videos on how to set up a tarp, 
how to start a campfire, how to pitch your tent. So you can, uh, you can, people can explore that. We have camping recipes. We have games to, to print that are like camping related. Oh, wow. And some of the, some of the content are translated in five different languages. Uh, traditional Chinese, simplified Chinese, uh, Punjabi, Tagalog, and Spanish. So it's just like we really want to make camping and you know exploring national parks as accessible as possible for for newcomers or or new Canadians. So I highly recommend people having a look at our Learn to Camp section. It's uh, it's a gem. It's uh, it's it's I think it's gonna set them up for a positive experience in a Price Canada place. Absolutely wonderful. Oh my gosh. And I, yeah. And I think you can get so stressed out about, I need to prepare for my camping trip and what do I need to research? And I need to start Googling everything and reading, where do I go? And it's like, it's all in one place by the sounds of yes. it. You just head to the website, you make your reservation, you pay your fees, you book your whatever, you learn about what you need to do, what you need to bring. It really is all in one place. And we'll put all the links in, in the show notes. I keep saying it, but they're going to be there. Um, I'll probably write a blog post as well with all the tips, uh, broken down there but there's so many that was so so great thank you so much Audrey packed with so much information and yeah I've probably left it way too late to book my spot now so I'll just be going to the cottage unfortunately (laughs) this year but uh yeah maybe next year I'll get back out camping you've inspired me (laughs) you can always go winter camping um, <laughs> I don't know if I'm that Canadian yet. Maybe when I get my citizenship, I'll have to force myself to do that. Try it out. <laughs> it's not everybody's cup of tea. <laughs> thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day. And thank you again for your time. Thanks so much, Kate. Enjoy the rest of your summer. It was awesome talking to you. Thank you so, so much for listening. It would mean the world to me if you could leave the show a quick review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening from. And if you're loving the show so far, recommend us to your friends. Spread word and help us grow this exciting community. Until next time. Hold up. 